Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 52 of Ask Alika, which means it's our one year anniversary. And um, yeah, 52 weeks in a year, 52 episodes, I'm stoked. I am really happy that we made it to one year. And you know, most podcasts from what, I, what I've read and from what I've heard last for seven episodes. So people get excited about them, they do six or seven episodes and then they stop. But we've kept going. And um, here we are at one year and we're going to keep going strong. We're going to keep getting better. So, look, I'm really excited. This episode is going to be a bit different. It's a mashup of all the best bits of the Ask Liga podcast from the last year. Mashup of interviews, a mashup of tips, a mashup of uh, myself and Beth and Jason just chatting about things, all things digital marketing and business. And I don't know what else to say. I'm just really proud of the guys that have been working on the podcast. Uh, I'm proud of us for, for going this long. We want to keep getting better. Uh, we've only just started in my opinion. And look, as always, want more feedback. I need to do a better job of getting feedback in terms of what we can improve on and what people want to hear. But look, I'm stoked and uh, yeah, just want to say thanks for supporting us for, for those people that have been listening to the podcast and contributing. Thank you. And uh, yeah, here we go. How many years has it been since uh, you birthed the idea yeah. of Alika to, to where it is today? So, since I birthed it, it's been, it's been 11 years, but we've traded for nine, for nine of those years. Right, right. So, tell me a little bit about the two years before you actually started trading. So, those, you know, I registered the company in 2006. We started trading hard in 2008. So, 2006 to 2008, we were, I was working full-time in my corporate job, which I hated. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were, we were trying to doing little jobs here and there, just finding our feet, trying to work out what we really wanted to do. Uh, and then 2008, we, we got our first big contract. Beautiful. And the rest is history. Hey, so there's a couple of years of hustle there, right? Yeah. I mean, the hustle really was from 2008 to 2013. You know, the first five years of any business, I think you're really hustling your butt off. Yeah. Uh, and that was me, my business partner. Yep. That, that's the unsexy, uncool thing that everyone comes yeah. to you and goes, what's the secret to success? And you're like, I'm going to tell you, it requires a lot of hard work. And they go, oh, no, I'm out of here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it, you know, I, I cr- like I don't usually cry too much, but business has actually made me physically cry. <laughs> so, it's definitely not sexy. <laughs> Zion, tell me, mate, what principle within business are you keeping constantly at the forefront of your mind that you believe has really helped you to achieve massive success? I think overcoming fear and actually as number one and actually working at that because you can actually, I believe you can actually work at overcoming fear tactically. And when you're not afraid of things and you don't care about what people think, what your mom thinks, what your friends think, what the business community thinks, you're a boss. You can do whatever you want, you know, you can handle rejection. Authenticity always kind of wins, I Does. think. I think being real always wins. And I think a lot of us are afraid that if we're real, people won't like that and it's not yeah. professional. Yeah. But, you know, you can still be professional and real. The best way to do that is to not set goals. And I suppose we should probably explain what that means. Yes. Tell it's, us, Beth. I, I will tell you. About, so, about the reason. So, goals, they're a little bit overrated because... And, you know, I think a lot of people can attest to this. The uh, success rate of a New Year's resolution or any New mm. Year's resolution you've ever set 
uh, which is the typical form that a goal takes at this time of year in particular, they're, they're pretty crap. Most people set a New Year's resolution, I'm going to exercise every day for an hour. And then within, you know, two weeks, they're back to sitting on the couch every night yep. instead. And that's, that's so common. We've all been there. We've all set a goal that we just Definitely. could not stick to. And I suppose that's, that's, where, that's where this is coming from because yeah. I suppose the most – or typically a goal relies on, on some magical mm. form of self-discipline that you're just going to create out of thin air. So you've yeah. never had the self-discipline to do it previously, but come January 1st, 2018, you're just going to magically – it's going to magically come up from the earth and, and away you'll go doing all the, all the you know, completing all the goals you've, yep. you've set for yourself. But actually, goals kind of aren't worth anything if you don't have actionable daily habits to back them up. Yeah. And that's why we're saying don't set goals, create habits. What do you think are the biggest keys to success as an entrepreneur? Uh, biggest key to success at this present time, and I got to find out early in my life that it's networking. It's not about who, I mean, how great you are. It's all about who you know. Firstly, Dino, how did you amass 27,000 followers on LinkedIn? Yeah, good question to start with. So, mate, thanks for having me here today, firstly. It takes time, one of them. And you need to understand the audience and the strategy that you have. And I, personally, I didn't have that when I first started. I jumped on the platform about six years ago now. And I thought it'd be great to get to know some people, put some content out here and there. And I was probably posting once a fortnight, following a few people. And I didn't really understand how the platform worked. Mm. And then I changed it to when I moved into my BDM role, I changed it more as a self-promotion mechanism. And I was a little bit arrogant and egotistic on the stuff I was putting out. And I was the first one to put my hand up now looking back and going, I can't believe I posted that stuff. <laughs> and then I'm lucky enough now to know some really... I suppose influential people behind the scenes at LinkedIn, whether they're in Australia or offshore, and they've sort of become my LinkedIn mentors over the last couple of years. So understanding my audience, understanding that LinkedIn's all about that education piece, the information, entertainment to a degree, and understanding how that algorithm works as well. Yeah. So it's not just posting now once a week and then leaving and coming back to it. It's all about that engagement, that social aspect. And I use the term social media is like a kindergarten playground. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're not playing with the same kid every single day, yeah. they're going to get bored and move on to another kid and go play with their marbles or, I don't know, balls, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. kids bloody play with these days. So it's all about that engagement and it's a consistent engagement. So I think doing that over a couple of years each and every day wow. is the only way to build a follower base. Wow. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far. <laughs> Karaoke. A piece of advice I'll give to someone who may have a problem with public speaking, mm. um, particularly if you get overwhelmed by the, number of, by the number in the audience, say you've got 200 people out there, I always think to myself, and you should think to yourself when you're doing it, hey, I'm up here and they're down there. Mm. Now, if they knew what I knew, if they were as good as I am, they'd be up here and I'd be down there. But I'm not. I'm up here. So keep your place. I'm up here. And the second thing is, you're not talking to 200 people. You're talking to one person 200 times over. Don't be overwhelmed by the number. They haven't got one collective mind. They don't all get together afterwards and collectively say he was this or he was that. Each one has their own opinion of you. Each one will take on board what you're saying. So you're talking to one person, mm. not 200. 
going back to when you first started, like, I mean, you obviously made the product and then family and friends bought it, mm. word of mouth. Did you then reach out to influencers straight away? Yeah, so originally I started reaching out to like smaller influencers. So, you know, maybe they have like two to 3,000 followers um, mm. and said, you know, would you like to make a video in exchange for some free product? So you're not outlaying a lot of money. You know, some of these influencers, you know, can cost, you know, five to 10 grand just to make a video, mm-hmm. which is hard if you're just starting out. So I think reach out to smaller influencers just so you have that content that you can start posting you can use that content as ads so people can see how it works Um, and then from there once you you know get a bit more money under your belt you can start reaching out to the bigger influencers and invest in them okay so let's talk about some tips like if somebody let's talk about if somebody wants to become an influencer Mm. you know what are your tips how do they start what do they do um post good quality content so figure out you know, what you want to post about. If you're a chef, don't post about clothes. If you're a stylist, don't post about food. You know what I mean? Like find your sort of trend that people are going to follow you. Like what story do people want to listen to that you're going to tell them, (coughs) which is easier said than done because sometimes I look at my Instagram like, holy moly, like I don't know what I'm posting is actually telling a story. It's kind of just a lifestyle page. Um, but try not to stray from it. Like I know, for example, if I post a picture of food, it's not going to go very well, but at the end of the day, it's my Instagram. It's about my life. So that's, it's still relevant, but yeah, find a trend and find a theme and try stick to it and post imagery. That's really clear. Do you think you were born to be a business owner? No, I don't think I was born to be a business owner. I um, I really enjoyed being a, a technician. I, I thought that uh, being a business owner would allow me to be more of a technician. I was uh, very unaware of all of the responsibilities and uh, the, the things going into running a business. So, yeah, I was a bit blindsided by that. Could you yeah, take us through how you first got involved with the business? And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, where it sure, is now? sure. So, yeah, f- first thing out of, out of university, uh, way back in 1990, I, I went and joined the government and worked there for a couple of years, but very quickly worked out that... Government's not probably, for you? Probably not for me. I uh, also worked in government and found that out too. Yeah, no, no, nothing to do with the government per se, but just no. the entrepreneurial side of, my, of me sort of wasn't being... Uh, wasn't being fed, yeah. so uh, I this this young startup business NGIS had started, and I had seen it there. And they they apply they, they put out an advert for someone of my ilk, and I went and uh, went and joined for about thirty percent less pay. <laughs> but <laughs> startup life it was anywhere but at that time. So uh, that was back in nineteen ninety four, and um, in in its day, NGIS back then was quite unique. Uh, mm. Mapping technology was just starting, and it was very very unique offering in the marketplace. I was yeah. I was the third employee basically, and and there wasn't many businesses like us in the market. So, how many years before Google would that have been? Like to give it context, that is or Google Maps. Yep. So so there was two things: Google Earth and Google Maps. Google Earth came out in about two thousand, and Google Maps came out in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Right. So that that was a long time before then. Right, so you were way ahead of the curve. Being, way ahead uh, of the curve. And fantastic. we were thinking about Google Maps back then, but, you know, Google just has the scale to do these things that we were never going to have. So. Of course. Well, if three employees, you know, baby steps. Yeah. Uh, so you, you left at some point and you yeah. moved to Vietnam. So, so, tell so me about then that. again, even though it wasn't government, I, I had some other things burning in me and I, I wanted to travel and I wanted to travel with work. And 
I said to the guy that was running and owning the business at the time, I said, look, I'll just be open with you. I want to travel with work. And, uh, you know, I'll either be doing it with you or I'll, I'll be finding another opportunity, nothing against you guys. Um, and they, uh, you know, they were very good. And we actually, I actually won a scholarship to go to Vietnam to study the language, study the business environment, 75% paid by the Commonwealth government for a whole year and learnt Vietnamese. Can you still speak Vietnamese? I I did. I was up there a year ago showing my kids Ah. and and the Vietnamese all came back to me. I was fluent. (laughs) It was one-on-one, four hours a day, basically. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, pretty full on. Amazing. Um, and then I found a business opportunity up there to start, start up something similar to NGIS in Vietnam. And uh, and my fiancé at the time joined me up there and we ended up living there for four years. And it was the most fantastic experience a 27-year-old could ever have in terms of business and experiences. It was just fantastic. You learn a lot when you lose a child. Yeah. Um, I, I seen him as my own um, son. He was born when I was 15 years of age. So I became an auntie when I was 15. Um, unfortunately, oh. I was there the day he was born and the day he passed away. Mm. So when it comes to um, to life and the business choices that I made now, I, I look at things with a very bright um, point of view and there's always positive in every situation. Even when you're mm. feeling so super down, there's something better is going to come. Yeah. All, and that's what kind of pushed me along to not only for for him because I owe it to him to give his life some respect and um, for myself so that I didn't get pulled down in the um, sadness of it all. Yeah. You've just got to take moments in your life and um, give it the best shot really. Yeah. Wow. You talked a bit about the cost of not having a good workplace culture or not having engaged employees. Can you explain a bit about that? Sure. Well, I always break down cost into a couple of tiers and the cost that the business owner will generally be most interested in is the cost to his profitability or the productivity of his staff. And that is obviously one of the biggest things that drives business owners or leaders to improve the engagement of their team. And Gallup uh, recently did a huge amount of work to look at the actual numeric cost of disengagement and they worked out that it was about 34% of a actively disengaged individual salary. Mm. So 34% of one person's salary perhaps could be overlooked, but 34% of 50 or 60 individual salaries in an organization really starts adding up. Mm. So what does it cost an organization? So productivity and profitability is one part of it. What does it cost an organization from a cultural and a an attrition perspective, not having an engaged organization. Mm. I'm sure companies have noticed when people leave and there's a high attrition rate, most people say they're leaving either because of their managers or because they say they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel happy, they don't feel motivated. Not many people leave for significantly higher salaries Mm. or for a promotion into a job role that was far better than the one they had. Most moves are lateral moves, but the promise of a better culture And the promise of a better working environment is often a pool Mm. for an individual to leave. And the third cost of having a disengaged working environment is the cost to the customers. I think in a working environment, we often take it for granted that the customers that we face don't pick up, that our employees are not happy, that our employees are disgruntled. So the cost for me, again, is threefold. It's internal when it comes to finances, profit margins, and Mm. productivity. The second cost is for the people and the turnover. 
Mm. It's also really difficult to keep bringing on board new members to a team, integrating them into a team, getting them up and running, getting them to speed, having a fine oiled and fine working team of individuals, and then another person leaves or two leave or three leave, and then you need to restart the entire process. And then the third is the cost to the customers. Yeah, wow. B2B, you're talking to business owners, CEOs, CFOs, in my industry, marketing managers of companies. Um, But really, you're talking to white-collar professionals, and a lot of them are business owners. If you were to summarize it, Mm -hmm. and of course, it will change from industry to industry, but you're not, unlike B2C, you're not, you know, talking to mum and dads, um, you know, the single lady that works at a hairdresser. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very professional, very corporate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the audience is different. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way that you reach these people? Yeah, great question. So, so really, like, it's where the attention is. Mm-hmm. And I've spent years trying to figure that out mm-hmm. because B2B is quite different from B2C in terms of the channels that you choose. So, yeah. the attention for B2B, local B2B, in Perth anyway, is LinkedIn. Yeah. So, a lot of the professionals are on LinkedIn and not just where the attention is, but I think the context is really important. Like, when people are on LinkedIn, they're in the frame of mind where they want to connect with other business people to do business mm. whether that's buying your product or whether that's teaming up when people are scouring linkedin like you know one of the things that they are thinking in their mind is i want to do business with someone so i think linkedin is really great but having said that we we do use a lot of facebook and mm-hmm. instagram and that for b2b marketing as well yeah. that does work because the, your audience still uses Facebook, for example. Like a CEO, just because he's a CEO, will still use Facebook yeah. to look at family yeah. pics and connect with their friends. So, if you can get in front of him on Facebook, it's still good. Yeah. I do find that LinkedIn, I've had more success because it's – I've had more direct success with LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. But I still think there's a big place for Facebook and, yeah. and some of the other channels. Um, you know, running shoes or, um, you know, web design, Perth or whatever it might be isn't really the best strategy anymore. Um, I guess the way that people are, are searching is it's a lot more conversational based. So people are actually doing a lot more research than they've ever done before. And it goes a lot further past just those base keywords. So instead of web design Perth, you know, you could look at, um, you know, you know, best e-commerce mobile designs um, examples. You know, that would be a good, I guess, conversational type search term. And and that relates to not just keyword research, but your whole blog and content marketing strategy. So you can kind of base, um, you know, your actual content marketing off of these conversational type keywords. And that's, you know, I guess, brings in the next generation of how people are searching, which is voice search. Um, so I guess with with this conversational stuff, you know, it's all driven by um, the topics and the keywords you choose. And so I think from the very, very beginning is the, definitely the most important part for SEO is establishing um, what is your conversations that people are having around your business um, yeah. and really pushing that. So by the way, for everyone out there, Dylan used to work in Google. He did a stint in Google. Uh, he is a data nerd. Yes. He, he's awesome at this stuff, right? So the credibility is there. So listen to this man <laughs> if you want to know how to plan your search campaign. <laughs> Right, so from what I'm getting at, right, like in the old days, and I can't believe I'm, I'm saying that 2014 was the old days, right? Because <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is how fast things are moving now. 
in the old days, we used to be more, consumers used to be more black and white about the keywords that they were typing to Google, right? So yep. you want a, an account account of Perth, you want a plumber plumber, but you want a, um, you know, a certain cologne or perfume, you know. I really think that audio marketing is a way to go, especially in the form of podcasts. For example, uh, years ago, and the reason why I think this is because, for example, Siri, I see that really taking off, people really using Siri. I see even more people using podcasts in the future. I just think that people, um, they want to save time, right? Absolutely. The fact that you can listen to podcasts while you're on the go. You know, I drove back from Margaret River yesterday and listened to podcasts the entire way home. I didn't listen to music at all. I wanted to hear interesting things and educate myself at the same time. And I know a lot of my friends and, and colleagues that do that as well. So I think it's very, it's a very prominent trend. It's very much on the rise. Yeah. And if you're a consumer of podcasts, yeah. what, it makes sense to to jump on that bandwagon and be part of be a creator. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing right now, and I think it's it's something that a lot of Perth businesses could stand to get involved with because yeah. it puts you ahead of the curve. Let's start from the beginning. Like we started this, I think in August or September or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. Um, didn't really know September what to ready. expect. No, we didn't really have a clear goal. We were no. just like, let's podcast. <laughs> like, okay, cool. let's do it. Gary V says we should do it. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's talk about some of the kickoff challenges. Mm. So, at the start, kind of share with us, Jason, like what were kind of some challenges that we had to overcome? I think the biggest challenge is because we had no clear, like our goal was to create a podcast, mm. but there was nowhere for it to go further to that. Yeah. So, our challenge was to see what was working, how it was working, and then set a goal. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, we had to work closely together so I could understand your personality, your brand, how you speak mm. to make sure that's all married up with the end result of the podcast. All right, Askalikians, hope you enjoyed that podcast. Remember to subscribe because we have so much more good content that we're going to give to you guys. All the best to you and your business. Until then, peace. Peace.